Hello all and welcome to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. Lauren. <laughs> and from this moment on we bark our names directly into the microphone with no context whatsoever. Poem! Russ! Lauren! No verbs allowed. <laughs> Articles? What are those? Well, Russ. Are we doing what? our drinks update for the day? Is that the lovely glass of rosé? Yes, it's not from Oregon this time, though. It's from, I think it's from France. Ew, French. Tastes like presumption. I saw something on the Twitters where they were, somebody, some awful Republican politician, I think, was saying that France would never put up a fight to, to an invasion, and uh, a lot of people were responding with how very famous the French resistance was to Nazi Germany. And to this day, like any time they try to institute some new traffic law or some new like work stipulation, the, the French just start burning stuff down. <laughs> Every day is Bastille Day. Every day is Bastille Day. Uh, guys, would you mind not running red lights? Oh, God, it's all on fire. Oh, all of Paris. Oh, Jesus. Oh, okay, okay, keep running red lights. Holy shit. Oh, God. Do you have any good plans for this weekend, Russ? Uh, last night was... Very interesting and kind of scary. Things are basically almost normal around here. And I went to a restaurant with like 20 other people. That is really scary because although the rates of transmission have gone down, there are still a whole lot of cases. Just a whole lot. It was a work function and like the first time that I've been sitting next to someone that is an immediate stranger to me. And I'm touching them. It was wild. Yeah, that's terrifying because you have no idea whether that person is vaccinated. And even if they are vaccinated, they can still transmit it. Well, the good news is that BC is still doing its vaccine passport thing. So I can can assume a fair amount of certainty that everyone there was vaxxed. Right. Although at this point, uh, some of the vaccines aren't... The vaccines aren't doing a great job of preventing transmission. They're just doing a great job of making sure you don't get very sick. And that's what I'm counting on. Yeah. I figure we'll all get it eventually, and on you go. Yeah. I mean, uh, what it, are we it talking is possible about? that we've already gotten it and don't know. It's true, but I don't. I feel like I would have known. Yeah, probably if I do actually get it, I will know. Well, what are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? Okay, let's do uh, Hungry Mungry. I am doing Hungry Mungry. Mm. Hungry Mungry sat at supper, took his knife and spoon and fork, Ate a bowl of mushroom soup. Ate a slice of roast pork. Ate a dozen stewed tomatoes. 27 deviled eggs. 15 shrimps. 9 baked potatoes. 32 fried chicken legs. A shank of lamb. A boiled ham. 2 bowls of grits. Some black-eyed peas. 4 chocolate shakes. 8 angel cakes. 9 custard pies with monster cheese. Ten pots of tea, and after he had eaten all that he was able, he poured some broth on the tablecloth and ate the kitchen table. His parents said, Oh, hungry Mungry, stop these silly jokes. Mungry opened up his mouth and gulp. He ate his folks. And then he went and ate his house, all the bricks and wood. And then he ate up all the people in the neighborhood. Up came twenty angry policemen shouting, Stop and cease! Mungry opened up his mouth and gulp, he ate the police. 
Soldiers came with tanks and guns, said Mungry. They can't harm me. He just smiled and licked his lips and ate the U.S. Army. The president sent all his bombers. Mungry still was calm, put his head back, gulped the planes, and gobbled up the bomb. He ate his town and ate the city, ate and ate and ate. And then he said, I think I'll eat the whole United States. And so he ate Chicago first and munched the water tower. And then he chewed on Pittsburgh, but he found it rather sour. He ate New York and Tennessee and all of Boston town, then drank the Mississippi River just to wash it down. And when he'd eaten every state, each puppy, boy and girl, he wiped his mouth upon his sleeve and went to eat the world. He ate the Egypt pyramids and every church in Rome and all the grass in Africa and all the ice in Nome. He ate each hill in green Brazil, and then to make things worse, he decided for dessert he'd eat the universe. He started with the moon and stars, and soon as he was done, he gulped the clouds, he sipped the wind, and gobbled up the sun. Then sitting there in the cold dark air, he started to nibble his feet, then his legs, then his hips, then his neck, then his lips till he sat there just gnashing his teeth cause nothing was nothing was nothing was nothing was nothing was left to eat dark yeah gee the illustration here is rather simple this uh poem spreads two pages and on each page on the left page there is an upper jaw with teeth and on the right page there's a lower jaw with teeth as if he is eating the poem and this book. He's hungry mungry entropy or time or less that I'm thinking more in terms of human mostly human created activities. I'm thinking a lot about the concept of hunger and how we assign a moral quality to it. Whether it's the hunger of greed or the hunger of power. You're really hungry for anything good. Although I suppose you could be hungry for passion or a spice of life or something like that. But the idea of hunger is usually associated with capitalists and plutocrats and, well, Putin right now, for sure. And he might just eat the entire world by blasting us all to glass. Also, when I think of hunger, in particular this poem, and something eating everything and then eating itself up, I also think about cancer and how... Mm. That is the body's cells becoming so savage and greedy for resources that they they kill the rest of the body. It's essentially like a parasite, but you are the parasite. It's odd. When I take a step back and think about it, the idea of hunger being a bad thing is kind of strange. Hmm. You need to eat. This isn't hunger in like a sensible sense. This is, you know, cannot be sated, will consume everything. Like your dude. Uh, Terare, that guy. Yeah. Your man, Terrare. It also falls into that class of shell poems where he just really enjoys listing things. It's true. And children, I think, enjoy hearing things listed. I think it gives you a lot of different anchor points. Like, your ability to imagine vast, incomprehensible things. Well, I mean, I say vast, incomprehensible. You find very vast things very incomprehensible. And so you get a moment to focus on each little bit and piece, and it makes this... 
feeling of something being pig just by all the things in it. It's really funny. We've been, you know, reading this book for a year now. With some of these poems, I have a memory from childhood. And with Hungry Mungry, I don't remember it at all. I don't remember it either. I sense a slight emotional memory to it and that I find exciting that I think as a kid I found it exciting like oh my gosh this kid's gonna eat everything that's amazing rather than a feeling of dread like oh my gosh this poem means he ate me I was looking to see if maybe it was added in like the special the anniversary edition or something but it looks like it's always been there no it feels familiar even though I don't remember it children Mm. read the very hungry caterpillar too and that's also exciting like that that ravenous caterpillar oh that old sport for what are you a glutton what could what if if you had your selection watermelon. What would you never stop eat watermelon oh my gosh i love watermelon i've known to eat myself sick i can eat a 30 pound watermelon in a day and a half. <laughs> all right <laughs> that's very interesting i just thought it was a cute bicycle helmet that you had Oh, no, I really like watermelon, and I'm a little bit picky. I only like ripe watermelon, but if I get a ripe watermelon, I am just the greediest fucker. What are the rules for a watermelon? Hmm. How, how do you know you have a good one? Well, I'd like to say that I know from being able to knock on it and everything, but I don't really. I would say with ripe fruit in general, try to go for density. Like I had the- read somewhere that like if the striations were two fingers why that was a good sign maybe i know that scarring is supposed to be a good sign because that means that the sugar broke through or something like that have you seen the trend going around where you put a toothpick in it and flick it and it explodes open well no oh hang on i feel like this warrants a watch watermelons have been known to explode on their own (laughs) is that true oh yeah i've seen the thing that people do where they um where they take rubber bands and surround a watermelon with multiples until it explodes no watermelons are known to sometimes expand the flesh to expand far greater than the the, the rind can hold and just explode that is wild anyway i sent it in a chat okay that makes me so hungry i want that watermelon <laughs> i just want to eat that watermelon is that can that happen though is that what that person doing is true for and because podcasting is a visual medium uh this person takes a toothpick and sticks it next to the butthole of a watermelon and the flower end <laughs> okay or the, i guess the opposite of the flower end the end that is the end opposite the 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 vine and sticks a toothpick in there and gives it a couple of good thumps with their finger and it splits wide right open I don't know, but considering that watermelons will explode on their own from the expansion, maybe if it's very, very ripe, you can do that. Science, everybody. What are you absolutely ravenous for, Russ? Oh, my God. Uh, sweets. Hmm. Anything sugary. Uh, specifically, if it, like if I had a, to choose a favorite sweet, it would be either like a truck stop candy, like cherry sours, or... An eclair. See, I dislike candy, but I like eclairs. The shittier the candy, the more I enjoy it. Like gummy worms and those orange circus peanuts. And oh, I I am. Oh, my, my, I'm salivating just thinking about them. So repulsed. Candy corn. Oh, God. And the much greater lord of candy corn, candy pumpkins. (laughs) 
See, I just don't like. I like. I like complex flavors with my sugar. Oh. <laughs> and I am seven children. Because... Right. <laughs> oh, what you? I can, I can put sugar directly in my face hole. Oh boy. You're not the only one who's like that. I have friends who are like that as well. But I just eh, not my thing. Uh, in fact, if you gave me an eclair, I would probably only want a nice eclair. Otherwise, I'd be like, ugh, this is just too sweet. And I will take any eclair. It can be from the donut shop up the road or from the nicest French brasserie. Well, sometimes the donut they... shop up the road is amazing. What are well, you reading today, Russ? I am reading uh, The Dirtiest Man in the World. Okay. Oh, I'm Dirty Dan. The world's dirtiest man. I never have taken a shower. I can't see my shirt, it's so covered with dirt, and my ears have enough to grow flowers. But the water is either a little too hot, or else it's a little too cold. I'm musty and dusty and patchy and scratchy and mangy and covered with mold. But the water is always a little too hot, or else it's a little too cold. I live in a pen with five hogs and a hen and three squizzly lizards who creep in my bed. And they itch as I squirm and I twitch in the cruddy old sheets that I sleep in. If you look down my throat with a flashlight, you'd note that my insides are coated with rust. I creak when I walk and I squeak when I talk and each time I sneeze, I blow dust. The thought of a towel and some soap makes me howl, and when people have something to tell me, they don't come and tell it, they stand back and yell it. I think they're afraid they might smell me. The bedbugs that leap on me sing me to sleep, and the garbage flies buzz me awake. They're the best friends I've found, and I fear they might drown, so I never go too near a lake. Each evening at nine, I sit down to dine with the termites who live in my chair, and I joke with the bats and have intimate chats with the cooties who crawl through my hair. I'd brighten my life if I just found a wife, but I fear that that never will be until I can find a girl gentle and kind with a beautiful face and a sensitive mind who sparkles and twinkles and glistens and shines, and who's almost as dirty as me. And the illustration is the dirtiest man in the world. <laughs> it is just a, a fellow coated in disgusting, uh, hanging out with some pigs and a couple of chickens. Well, Russ, why this one? You're a fairly fastidious fellow. Every now and again, I'll meet someone who goes more than a day without showering, and that gives me the heebie-jeebies because... You know, like, sometimes I do. Oh, yes, I know. And, like, I don't know anyone that, like, smells bad because of it, but I get that feeling on my skin where it's just, like, I feel unshowered, and it's like, mm. oh, I've got I've to fix this right away. Yeah, I'm a once-in-the-morning once kind of person. Although at times, uh, I'm also a more than once a day shower. It really depends on what's going on with my body. Like in the summertime when it's really hot uh, and I have no air conditioning, I may take all sorts of showers during the day. <laughs> that is a wonderful turn of phrase. What are all sorts of showers? Well, there are hot showers and cold showers. There are showers where you're really focused on getting clean. There are showers where you're more focused on the temperature. 
Like when I'm going, if I'm out and I get really cold, I might need to go into the shower to warm up. And then, you know, I will clean a little bit, but for the most part, I'm just in there for the hot water. It's the same thing with the summer. Sometimes I'll go into the shower just to cool myself down and it's less about the, it's less about keeping clean. One of the things that I mentioned on uh, last week's podcast was that post-pandemic, I felt that I had lost a lot of empathy. Hmm. And I would learn that I'm not alone in this. Hmm. And there is a study out of Indiana University that wanted to track empathy, such as it was, and found that since about 2000, empathy, particularly among college-age students, has fallen pretty dramatically, or feelings of empathy, to the tune of about 40%. Now they're banding around questions like, how does this happen? You know, empathy is a human impulse, so why would that fluctuate on such a large scale? Um, For college students, I would assume it's because there's been a shift in the cost of college, and so maybe more college students are more wealthy than they have been in the past, although maybe that's the opposite. Maybe there's actually been more of a variety of people from economic backgrounds going to college. I'm quoting an article here by an author named Jason Pargin. These are surveys going back decades, asking students about their obligation to help a stranger in trouble, or if they have a duty to see things from someone else's point of view, that kind of thing. And no matter how you ask the question or measure the results, there's a sharp drop since about 2000. Was 9-11 the triggering event, the rise of Fox News, increasing wealth inequality, the popularity of social media and other platforms which encourage everyone to be the most antagonistic version of themselves, or all of the above... And as the author of the study explains, empathy for strangers has been replaced with intense loyalty to one's own group, which in turn creates a hatred for strangers. And you know that if you've ever used the internet or been near anyone who has. And it was so interesting seeing tribalism play out in myself because when it came to anti-vaxxers, I immediately saw them as subhuman. How dare you? There is no excuse for this. You're an awful human being. And that was the end of it, as far as my thinking process went. Yeah, but they're also putting you at risk. It's not It's not that they have a different opinion and you're mad about it. They are putting you at risk, especially when the vaccines worked really well against the closer to the original strains. Back when they were a factor in preventing the transmission, people who were on vax were a danger. Doesn't it feel good to be part of the same tribe? I mean, it's a true thing, though, also. Unvaxxed people are less of a danger now that, you know, they can... The vaccines don't prevent transmission as much, but... And so, if nothing else, the the dirtiest man in the world, of course, the the kicker for that poem is the very last line, who's... (laughs) Find a wife who's almost as dirty as me. Right, trying to find someone who's... Who matches you in some way, but is better slightly better than you i guess not necessarily the dirty part uh that he wants someone that's just slightly less disgusting than him but that he wants someone that has all these amazing qualities and we don't know if he has any of those qualities and what i think is funny is i don't think he's actually looking for amazing qualities i think it's just someone who will tolerate someone who's this who is this filthy but and is just as filthy but maybe not quite as filthy (laughs) i feel like dirty dan is reveling in his filth and if he found someone who was just as dirty as he was he would be quite happy and do you like that 
I, I don't. I mean, I don't want to be dirty, but being. but I like that. I like that. Dirty Dan knows what he's about and knows his, you know, what he's looking for. Yeah, it sounds like he would res- probably respect this person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that a lot of times people aren't always looking for someone who's a real person rather than someone who's an idealized version of what they would like to have in their life and and maybe that's what dirty dan is doing i don't know and for me uh this was more a reminder to me that i'm not all that hot shit and maybe being conscious of not being as empathetic as i used to be is the first step admitting you have a problem is the first step towards solving the problem i guess well what is the solution is the solution to be more empathetic i'm not sure it is that's a good question like do i just revel in hating certain groups of people or do i do something about it an interesting thing in animal rescue is that there are some people who are so empathetic that they become ineffective oh tell me about it how does that work so there are people who are trying to save every animal they're against things like spay abortion which is when you find a pregnant animal, and in my case, it's always cats, and then you get the pregnant animal spayed no matter what stage of gestation that animal is in. And uh, there are people who won't, when they trap cats that are semi-feral, they won't put them back where they came from, and they just want to say, they want the perfect outcome for every cat. And then there are people who are more like me, who are like, you know, saving some cats means that I don't have time for others. And if I try to work on this semi-feral cat, I won't be able to help a whole bunch of younger cats that are not yet feral. And so that's where my thing with the negative utilitarianism is that you're trying to reduce the suffering for the most amount of people, or in this case, animals, rather than trying to make sure that each one is in the happiest situation that comes under your care. Hmm. And here in my brain, I think of animal rescue as those people who rescue animals and now here i find out there's tribes within animal rescue oh my gosh there is so much drama and tribalism within animal rescue oh my gosh i don't really participate in it because i don't well in part because i have that pragmatic empathy where i'm like i don't care what your drama is i'm just doing my thing over here and if i can be of service to you that's great if not whatever amongst your circle of friends have you found a lot of people, or a lot more people, actually believing in astrology? Recently? No. Yeah. It's not a recent thing. I've, I've known people who have been into astrology. I don't know anybody, I don't know that many people, and I'm not close to anybody who really firmly believes in astrology. I know a lot of people who think it's fun, and it's a tool of, of interpreting your world. And for that, I like that. I think it can be fun and a tool of interpreting your world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care for that. <laughs> Why? <laughs> that, because that's magical thinking. And I mean, people think the Myers-Briggs thing is a, something, but it's the exact same thing pretty much. Yeah, I don't like that either. Yeah, I don't like... I mean, I don't think any of them are real, but I think that having different lenses and frames to view things can help you create a more coherent narrative for yourself. That makes you a more functional human being. Mm. Uh, sounds an awful lot like church talk to me. <laughs> I don't think it sounds anything like church talk. Well, do you have any uplifting thoughts to leave the listeners with? It's been rather sunny today and I'm working on starting seeds. Mm-hmm.